0: Today is January 25th, 2011, and my guest is investigative journalist Brian Deer. Brian has spent seven years or so investigating claims that vaccination causes autism among children, particularly looking at an influential 1998 study that made that claim. In a recent set of reports, he has shown that those claims were not just inaccurate, but fraudulent and corrupt. Brian, welcome to Econ EconTalk. Hi, Russ. So in 1998, Lancet, which is one of the most prestigious, uh, if not the most prestigious medical journal in the world, pl- published a study claiming a link between vaccination and both autism and bowel disease. Tell us what that original study claimed and what it's, uh, the basis for those claims uh, were.
1: Well, as was. you say, it was published in the Lancet, which is a British-based uh, medical journal. comes out weekly. It's reckoned to be uh, secondary to the two most prestigious journals, which would be the New England Journal of Medicine and the Journal of the American Medical Association, but nevertheless, immensely influential journal. Uh, and in uh, February 1998, February 28th edition of uh, 1998, it published a five-page paper by a team of doctors at a North London medical school. Uh, they were led by a Dr. Andrew Wakefield, who was at the time... Uh, He was a former trainee surgeon, he'd never finished um, training as a surgeon, but had moved into laboratory research, and uh, with 12 other doctors, including uh, pediatricians and um, pathologists, he published a paper claiming that, um, if I give the scenario, that... uh, Twelve families had turned up at the hospital associated with this medical school, the Royal Free, which is in Hampstead in North London. They had turned up between uh, July uh, July 1996 and uh, uh, February 1997. And the children they brought with them were children with various kinds of developmental disorders, mostly described in the paper as regressive autism. And regressive autism is a, is a kind of autism where children appear to be making normal progress uh, and then suddenly start to go backwards. They lose language and they lose skills. And this can occur uh, usually in the sort of second year of life, uh, one sees this. And uh, he said that in eight of the cases, the parents had said to the doctors, words to the effect of, it was the MMR doctor. Our child had been developing normally and then was given the MMR vaccine, the vaccine against measles, mumps, and rubella, and within just 14 days, just two weeks, started to show the first signs of autism. And uh, these children were then uh, admitted to the hospital for a battery of tests, including colonoscopies as far as the small intestine, which is means inserting a tube all the way round the, the large bowel uh, into the small bowel. Uh, they had lumbar punctures. They were put through brain scanners. They drank radioactive drinks. Um, a whole battery of tests that lasted five days, they were admitted for. And Dr. Wakefield claimed in this paper that, the, that he'd found in them inflammatory bowel disease. So you, we had these three things. We had Children with regressive autism, they had inflammatory bowel disease, and the parents were saying that the first signs of the autism came on within just days, just 14 days of vaccination. And the papers, the authors of the paper, then went on to adopt those claims um, to propose that they had discovered what they called a new syndrome of bowel disease. And autism associated with the three-in-one vaccine. That, in a nutshell, is what was published way back in 1998.
0: Now, they didn't—they did not suggest any causal connection, other than just this correlation. There seemed to be these 12 families presented. Eight of them uh, had very recently, from the onset of symptoms, at least so it was claimed, had had this vaccine. But they didn't understand any—they didn't make any claims about the underlying pathology or how it might work or...
1: well it, it's not quite true they didn't make claims of causality they did actually make uh They'd, i'm
0: claims. sorry they they didn't have um a medical mechanism that, that they proposed for the how this came about did not they in
1: that paper no but wakefield in fact did produce another paper which he submitted to the lancet at the same time where he did propose that mechanism but that paper was rejected Um, Originally the two papers were supposed to be published together in his mind at least, um, but the peer reviewers rejected the second paper in which he did propose a causal mechanism.
0: And what was that mechanism? You it was know? the
1: measles virus. His idea was that measles virus, which is live as a normal part of the MMR vaccine, um, had um, infected the children's guts and persisted in their guts. And um, it was this which had caused the gut damage, and the gut damage went on to cause um, um, uh, the brain damage. So he, but that, that was rejected by the Lancet.
0: But this was a paper that had 12 data points, You could argue eight, I guess. Uh, It's a small number. Mm. There are hundreds of thousands of people who – children who get the MMR vaccine. Mm. Was there any other evidence among folks that that there was an onset of symptoms shortly after the vaccine?
1: Uh, well, no. In fact, I mean, other people who who studied this very soon after found that, that, that there was no such link, and in fact, that, that link was very quickly abandoned. It appeared in this paper, and then and then Dr. Wakefield very quickly abandoned the suggestion that um, that there was a, a, a problem coming on within days.
0: So <clears throat> the paper was published, and again, I'm sort of wondering why it was. I mean, we'll come back to that. But uh, they published the paper, and it made qu- quite a splash. I assume.
1: It did. It it made the evening news on all networks, although going back to 1998, we didn't have as many networks as we have now. But uh, it made all networks, and uh, most of the national media covered it the next day. Because the, the medical school, the Royal Free Medical School in Hampstead, uh, they announced this uh, this paper with a press conference to which they invited all the media, a televised press conference, and they actually distributed, the most extraordinary thing, they actually distributed a 23-minute video news release um, in which Wakefield appeared uh, calling for the MMR vaccine to be suspended and giving broadcasters uh, essentially a package. It was essentially a kit given to media by which they could create... Uh, media products uh, highlighting this allegation that was being made. So they, they put a very great deal of work into this. They also installed extra telephone lines into the hospital, um, and uh, they really were ready to push this on the British public.
0: That's because they cared about the children, of course. <clears throat> As we'll see, that turns out not to perhaps be so true. But they the, the, it made a splash in the media, It also uh, generated a large set of additional work trying to look at the relationship between vaccination and autism, correct? Mm. And what did that work find?
1: Oh well, very quickly because I mean, this this was a matter obviously of great public interest. I mean, well, if, if one if one just takes the thing at face value, many many uh, initial medical observations occur in individual patients. I mean, that would be expected. Here we had a suggestion that this was this was possibly a snapshot if you like, of a, of what could potentially be a hidden epidemic of, of, of catastrophic injuries to children. Because if this picture was being replicated at hospitals all over the world, um, that there were... Um, these injuries occurring within such a short time of MMR, then that would be an issue of great public concern. So not only was there the media response, there was also a response by government uh, where the the British government, through the British um, Department of Health, immediately uh, commissioned studies. Uh, Studies were commissioned in other countries, other governments. The U.S. federal government commissioned studies. Independent uh, academic institutions uh, began... Studying this question and they looked at um, they did big number crunching to try and see whether uh, there had been an increase in the number of uh, cases of autism that corresponded with the increase in vaccination levels they looked to see whether there was any new bowel disease in in, uh, autistic children that hadn't been noticed before they looked at it in all kinds of different ways and every single study that anybody ever did on this subject Found not not only no support for Wakefield's claims, but clearly uh, rebutted them.
0: And against this, was all being done against a background where there was an apparent increase in the incidence of autism, and so people were very eager to find possible correlates and ideally causal agents. And this was a possible one. There'd been an increase in vaccination rates around the world. Uh, so I think it, it appealed to people in a sort of back of the envelope uh, way. But as you say, there wasn't any confirming evidence other than this one study. Was there any? Were there any studies done outside of the UK in, in America? I
1: there were studies done in Denmark. Uh, studies <laughs> run out of the United States. Studies uh, all kinds of different groups of people. In, uh, science, medical science, is very internationalized. So, so when one thing occurs in one country, you'll find. People with similar interests will start studying the same thing in other countries, and, and and everybody drew a blank. So they were they were kind of confronted with this situation. That as the years went by, more and more studies accumulated, different pieces of research accumulated, which showed no association, um, and yet there was Wakefield's work, and he did, it wasn't only this particular paper, although this is the most important. He also did subsequent publications, which also uh, worked very much along the same lines, which uh, which are wouldn 't bore your listeners with going into because one can you know get exhausted with going into these individual studies but he, he so,
0: continued to be a, a spokesperson for this, this theory, and obviously he alarmed an enormous number of parents yes uh, there, there's you know if you search the internet, the internet is full of, of anxiety about uh, autism and vaccination correct mm, that 's right uh, isn 't the uh, in, here in America the standard uh, worry is the preservative. That is used in vaccinations, uh, which I think has mercury in it. And there was well,
1: yeah, thimerosal, which has now really been removed from children's vaccines. That's right.
0: So, but that has nothing to do with the Wakefield story.
1: Well, it it sort of does, in the sense that that. I don't want to sort of jump too far ahead of the tail, but uh, it, it sort of does have a relationship. Although, although the MMR vaccine has never contained thimerosal because it, it was it's a live vaccine. The three components are live vaccines, and thimerosal is a is a preservative that would kill the 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 effective components in the vaccine. So MMR has never included that uh, component.
0: Which vaccines next- do include it?
1: Uh, well, it, mostly it's been the uh, the diptheria tetanus pertussis vaccine, okay. also um, um, the flu vaccine. Some some flu vaccines still, in fact, contain thimerosal, but most don't. So, it, but but mostly where where uh, the thimerosal was being used was in the um, in the old um, older vaccines against diphtheria tetanus pertussis.
0: So let's go back to MMR, though. So <clears throat> we've got an accumulating body of evidence that. Uh that there doesn't seem to be a relationship between the MMR vaccine and autism or bowel disease. Mm. We have Wakefield continuing to to make claims that it is based on his original paper and then some subsequent ones. Uh, how did you get involved? Where do you come in?
1: Well, uh, when his original paper was published, I was in fact looking at uh, the controversy over the earlier vaccine, the DTP vaccine, because there had been a... A great medical controversy over that, which had led in the United States, particularly to uh, the drug industry basically saying, well, we're not going to produce vaccines anymore because we're being sued so much. Um, there was an epidemic of lawsuits against um, vaccine manufacturers in the 1980s uh, following a program that was broadcast on CBS, uh, the CBS network uh, called Vaccine Roulette, um, which also incidentally came out of the UK. The, 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 the concerns over that vaccine came out of the UK. Um, and I just happened to be looking at that other vaccine at the same time that Wakefield's study was published in 1990, purely by chance. And I looked at his paper and I thought, well, there's, there's something very odd about this paper. There's something that doesn't sit right, just reading it on the page. Um, and, and, and that was really based on my study of this other vaccine, but I said at the time, I'm absolutely not getting involved in MMR, and the reason I wasn't going to get involved in MMR is that, journalistically, investigations into vaccines, if you want to do them in a responsible way, rather than simply go to government experts, or go to uh, parents, or go to various people with interests, and just write down what they say, or present the different clash of opinions, if you want to understand what the story is really about, they require an enormous amount of work because they, vaccine issues are so multidisciplinary. They can involve epidemiology, big number crunching of, of statistics. It can involve, well, in the MMR case, it, it involves gastroenterology, virology, uh, uh, pediatric, developmental pediatrics. Um, and there's all these different areas which if you really want to understand and know what you're talking about you have to get on top of and I said at the time I absolutely am not going to get involved in another vaccine story because professionally if you're a journalist you don't want to get too associated with one thing or you become like the office expert they say in fact the Sunday Times people were saying oh, well, MMR, Brian Deer, he's our expert on vaccines based on what I'd done on, on DTP so I said I was not going to get involved but then in, in late 2003, um, one of the editors of the paper was changing jobs within the paper and he was taking over some feature pages. So he wanted, to, wanted stories that would fill feature pages. And he said to me, well, can't you do me an investigation? And I said, well, you know, what? And he came up with three or four different ideas. And, um, and one of them was MMR. Uh, and I said, well, I, you know, I don't really want to get involved in MMR because there's a lawsuit coming up. And I been involved in vaccines before and then uh, just by serendipity the lawsuit was cancelled and he just said oh well, just just do us a feature for i think i think i'm supposed to spend about two weeks maybe possibly on the outside three weeks on mmr mm-hmm. um well, best laid, the, tele-
0: yeah, the best laid plans of mice and men gang after glade so <clears throat> did it was it ended up being a little more than three weeks
1: Well, it ended up, three weeks (laughs) turned into seven years, although I have to say not the whole time. I did make a couple of TV shows and did stuff about other things as well.
0: So when you started looking into MMR, when you looked into that Wakefield study, how did you proceed and what did you discover?
1: Well, I did very routine journalistic work. Um, Absolutely at the start, uh, I put a phone call in to Dr. Wakefield uh, and immediately his publicist, he, Dr. Wakeford always works with professional publicists, and, and at this time um, his publicist, within about, I think, um, three hours of me uh, calling, uh, his publicist had made a complaint against me to the paper. Um, now, there was a bit of a strategic um, mistake on their yeah, part. I guess so. um <laughs> Now, the the, the 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 essence of the mistake is I am actually self-employed, um, right. uh, but <laughs> I've worked for the Sunday Times since uh, 1981. Uh, that is my home. I was a staff reporter. I was a, a specialist. They sent me to the United States and so on and so on and so forth. But I am self-employed. Uh, but they imagined that this somehow meant that I was some sort of outsider. And when they got onto the paper and started making complaints against me, they were making complaints against somebody who'd actually sat at the next desk to the editor um, and someone who'd worked with the head of the legal department for, well, since we were all young together. So it didn't work. They knew you. Yeah, they knew you. Um, I was a known known entity, and whilst I'm regarded as being uh, quite a difficult mercurial person, uh, I think it is true to say that I'm trusted, and uh, they trusted me. And I think that was, that was the first mistake that uh, Wakefield's people made, um, was to make complaints against me. But the other thing I did right at the start was simply to ring up um, a couple of parents who'd been involved in the um, campaign against the vaccine and simply interviewed them, but interviewed them in a way that they, um, they had not been interviewed before, um, And um, that produced very important information right at the beginning, within within hours, really, of beginning the story. Which was? Which was, I phoned a, a lady who had started a campaign group over MMR back in the early 1990s. And she told me in the conversation that members of her group were in the Wakefield study. Uh, and In fact, she, she slightly over-egged it. She said they were all members of our group and they're all still in the group. So she was saying that the research subjects, these parents who had turned up at this hospital and made this very specific allegation that their child had been normal and then had received the MMR and within just days of vaccination was showing the first signs of autism, she told me that they were members of her campaign group um, And immediately, obviously, alarm bells started to ring because nothing about that was mentioned in the paper. They just appeared to be routine patients, part of the routine caseload of a big London hospital. And now we knew, at least from what she was saying, that somehow they were part of a group and, um, a group that, that
0: had been created before the study. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be that interesting if they'd, been, if they'd come together after the study,
1: that's correct? That's right. It was a group that had been it – was, it was the result of her campaigning. She um, put advertisements in newspapers and um, made approaches to a firm of lawyers. And um, it's a, it's a long-established technique that um, lawyers will try to get articles into media – uh, highlighting the subject of their concern the, over which they wish to litigate and getting their names as lawyers in the papers. That way, members of the public contact them, and that's how they increase their client list. So that was the the picture that was beginning to emerge very, very quickly within you know days, if not hours, of me beginning up this story.
0: And that was very useful to you because, of course, in the original study, the 12 parents were anonymous. Uh, sure. They were not identified. You had- Originally, starting from scratch, you had no way of, of actually interviewing them, at least uh, to begin with, because you had no way of knowing who they were.
1: That's right. But all of
0: a sudden, they fell into your lap.
1: Uh, I wouldn't say they. I wouldn't say the individual uh, individual uh, families fell into my lap, but the the principle that they that the the people who we'd been seeing in media, because all the way through that period, there were these families popping up in media saying. Uh, my child was vaccinated. You get, they always had these wonderful Madonna and child photographs that would appear. Journalists love these kind of stories. They have do. human interests, yeah. they have
0: the you know,
1: everything yeah. that you'd want as a journalist. And, and I began to realize that these people who were popping up in media were one and the same people as those who were in the study, which appeared to validate their claims.
0: And so, how did you you interviewed them? You said you learned, you interviewed them in a way that they hadn't been interviewed before. Uh, what did you? How did you interview them, and what did you discover?
1: Well, the the, the key one was was uh, in the series of twelve. The key family was family two, which was the the it was the mother had been an, uh, uh, it came out over a period of time. The mother had been a uh, a longtime collaborator of Dr. Wakefield's. And um, I simply went to interview, and in fact, I used my middle name with uh, editorial and legal approval from my from my managers. I used my middle name rather than my full name, so they wouldn't Google me and see that I was a an investigative reporter. Oh, they would just think I was um, – in fact, I said my name was Brian Lawrence, which is my middle name. Uh-huh. And, um, and, I, and I went to interview her. Uh, and,
0: and under what – since you weren't representing yourself as an in- investigative journalist, how – how are you representing yourself? Oh,
1: from Sunny Times, Brian oh. Lawrence from Sunny Times, but not, um,
0: but not Brian Deer from Sunny okay. Times. Because right.
1: if I'd said I was Brian Deer, they would Google me, and I think I think anybody would. Uh, uh, my friends say that I'm the I'm a journalist you wouldn't want to write about you, and I think <laughs> if you were to Google me uh, and you put Brian Deer into Google, you would see that I was the kind of person who you, who you probably wouldn't want to um, uh, give an interview to unless you were you know quite sure. The, uh, of your um, of your position,
0: I hear. Um, I hear he's difficult, mercurial, but trusted. So I, I I like I like the man so far. So so you went to, you got to number two, and you what did you how did that interview go? What did well, you discover I went
1: to interview her? And I uh, uh, and I, I I gave her all the questions, after all the questions that um, people ever asked. You know, isn't it awful? And who do you blame? Was kind of. Stuff. But I, I then went into exceptional detail as to what actually happened. When she said her child was vaccinated and developed his problems, and I went over her story in very, very great detail, and she'd, she'd already recently gone through litigation and been involved in litigation, so the matter was very clear in her mind. And she told me a very detailed story, and I took her back to times and things. And you could say, well, p- people forget as the years go by, but you know, this is the this is the moment when she was saying that uh, her child's life had forever been destroyed. So Hard one to would have that. to expect that yeah, that this, kind of remember this, that. yeah, she would she would have that in her mind. And I took her through it in very great detail, and, and it was quite clear that the story she was telling me uh, did not correspond with any any case in the Lancet paper, in Wakefield's paper. There simply wasn't one. Um, And what it boiled down to in her case is that she had changed her story. She had told one story when she'd gone to uh, see Wakefield and his people at the hospital, and now she was telling another story, and the two stories couldn't be reconciled.
0: And what important difference was the length of time, I assume, that that the symptoms...
1: when when did the problems of autism first reveal themselves? And and in her story that she told at the hospital, it was um, uh, 14 days. She she in fact set the 14 day limit, um, but actually when one went to her actual story, um, one would see that, that that was far from the case.
0: What was she saying in that
1: time? Well, in fact, it was months. We're talking months. So so she moved it. She moved – and she'd moved it back – well, she'd given one story um, which suited the paper, and she may have done so in complete good faith. She may have misremembered or whatever. Yeah, sure. But certainly when she had the opportunity to study her child's records and be clear as to what the history actually was, uh, it, was a, it was a different story. So that, that was just one of the examples. Where so I that was one. Yeah, the, so you yeah. could say,
0: well, she forgot and, – and you could say a few months is still recently. It could still be a causal mechanism, right? That's still possible. Well, it, I, I,
1: I can't think of why that would be the case. I mean, because if one was to say that, then just you would just, just about say anybody, um, because children are all vaccinated at about that age.
0: Yeah, well, um, but that alone wouldn't didn't refute the study. So what no. else, what, what happened after that? That was, that was early on, right?
1: That's right, there, yes. <clears> and, and then in, over the course of time, I also spoke to other parents. I spoke to a, the father of a child from California. One of the 12 children, rather extraordinarily, had been flown Five thousand miles from um, from Northern California to um, to this London hospital and had uh, been enrolled in this study and I talked to him, and in fact, he came over one year for Wimbledon for the tennis in London and I met him in a London hotel and I showed him the uh, the Wakefield paper and he just looked down it and he said that 's not true um, so that 's another case of of the, the twelve
0: and what was um, not true about that one what was oh, so- well,
1: at the time of onset? Uh, the symptoms that were supposed to have been associated with the onset he also complained about um, uh, he'd done something very extraordinary he'd uh, he'd had Wakefield's tests for measles Wakefield was testing these children for measles virus he'd actually got an extra sample of his child's um, biopsies jumped into a taxi Driven across London to another laboratory and had them tested at another laboratory, and uh, where Wakefield was saying there was measles and virus, the other laboratory, which is actually a very very prestigious uh, international centre for virology, said there wasn't any. So, so that was a, that was another one of the uh, of the family.
0: How did you find him?
1: Uh, through diligent journalism. Okay.
0: So you started to raise in your mind. You started to realize, hmm, this study seems to be. There seems to be some problems with it. Uh, Mm. How did it develop into a scandal? Well, um, the... the, Where was the next piece of of evidence that made you realize that this wasn't just carelessness or a bad interview or somebody who just tried to their best to remember and whatever?
1: Well, at an early stage, uh, in February 2004, firstly, and then in November 2004, I published first in the Sunday Times... Very big piece uh, saying, revealing for the first time that uh, Wakefield had been employed uh, to do this research by a firm of lawyers, and secondly that the children recruited into the study had, in some sense, been uh, marshalled and gathered together. They had been, some of them had been solicited. They'd been brought to the hospital. So, so the fact the study had been contrived for lawyers to be used in litigation. We published in. In February 2004, then later that year, uh, I um, did a television program, an hour-long uh, primetime television program on the UK's uh, Channel 4 network, which is a, a nationwide sort of semi-public service network, um, where we revealed that Wakefield had um, uh, taken out a patent for his own single measles vaccine. And just before he'd uh, announced to the world that they should boycott this triple vaccine and take up vaccinating their children with single vaccines, that we'd, uh, we'd established that he'd taken out a patent on a single measles vaccine. And that the the tests that were being carried out in his own laboratory uh, had shown there was no measles virus in any of these children. So that was 2004. And a result of that, uh, Wakefield made his second Big mistake. Uh, you might remember his first big mistake was to have complaints made against me to my employers. Um, his second big mistake was to begin litigation. He sued for libel after um, this 2004 uh, feature piece. Yes, he he and the and the television program. What so evidence?
0: What evidence did you have that he had taken money from lawyers in advance of the study?
1: Oh, well, well we that's didn't a, have that's, it a,
0: that's a very dramatic. That's an enormously damaging claim. For well,
1: we only had a little bit of it then. The, the, one thing he could never have expected, I suppose you could say this is his third mistake, or well, maybe this is his second mistake, and, and uh, suing me was the third. Uh, what he could never have expected, no one would ever have expected in uh, late 1996, early 1997, It's a long time ago now, going back to when Princess Diana was still alive, long time ago, um, no one could have expected that an incoming Labor government, the Blair government, government of Tony Blair came in with a commitment to introduce a Freedom of Information Act. America's had a Freedom of Information Act for so long, people are probably got no idea when it ever began. We had one that was introduced um, by the incoming Blair government, and it started to take effect in 2000. Um, oh no! It was it was enacted in two thousand. It started to take effect, strictly speaking, in two thousand four. Um, and because the government had told uh, public bodies to act as if the the act was in force, I was able to get from public bodies the fact that uh, Wakefield had been paid. The funding authority—it's called the in, in Britain—it's like it's called the Legal Aid Fund. It's kind of like the public defender system, except that. It, the the government doesn't provide the defenders it provides the money and so it was a government fund to allow poorer people access to litigation which had funded wakefield through this lawyer and i was able to get that information so he could never have expected when he was doing this research that all of a sudden his funding would be exposed to scrutiny and also the the ethics committee. It's in, in America, they're called institutional review boards. They're bodies of doctors and, and scientists and other people associated with medical centers, which give permission for research to take place. The, the paperwork of that body, at the Royal Free Hospital, also was moved into the public domain by the Freedom of Information Act. And I think I was the first person ever to get hold of these kind of papers, and I got those. So, he, What did those tell you? Well, those told us that the, 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 the work that had gone on, the, the battery of investigations that had gone on at the hospital, uh, ileocolonoscopies, um, lumbar punctures, MRI scans, radioactive drinks, uh, EEGs, also did not have ethical approval. Uh, there, there, there clearly was a mismatch between the documents that had been generated to for, by the Institutional Review Board and the work that had been done, which in itself gave probable cause to investigate further. The, the public wasn't massively interested, never been massively interested in ethical issues, as I think they should, should be, uh, but it gave probable cause to investigate further. So the Freedom of Information Act coming in uh, was a, a major breakthrough that helped to Puncture the um, the anonymity around this particular piece of research.
0: So he sues you in two thousand and four after the TV show and after the, the newspaper piece,
1: mm.
0: arguing that you, you know you had acu- basically accused him of cooking up a study uh, for profit.
1: Yeah,
0: ugly. Yeah. It is well, rather unattractive. Were you, were you a little bit scared?
1: Well, um, there were a couple of I'd be a little bit scared. Well, I, there. there, <laughs> there <laughs> Uh, he, he, the lawsuit began in, in uh, the beginning of 2005, and uh, he immediately applied to the court to have it frozen so that he could go around telling people that he was suing but not actually sue because litigation, particularly in the U.K., is immensely expensive. Uh, so,
0: Don't it, Losers it, pay also?
1: That's right. Losers pay everything. But yeah. he was being insured by, by uh, the medical establishment, the bodies who insured doctors were, were funding him. Um, but we went to court, um, myself, Channel 4, the television company, went to court and got a court order compelling him to continue suing. He I had to put up it. or shut up. <laughs> he, um, so he, th- he then, with, with financial backing from the um, uh, well, all British doctors, in fact, um, continued to sue. And in the course of this litigation, which went on for two years, um, well, from a personal level, you were saying, well, this might, might be quite scary. I mean, there were, there were occasions, because he also sued me with regard to my website, which, for which I have unlimited liability and which I would have lost my home if my stories hadn't been true. Um, I, would, I would be sitting at my uh, computer doing some work, and there would be a ring on the doorbell, and there would be a man dressed in black leather with a motorcycle helmet on, standing outside, and he would present me with an envelope. This happened, this happened to me twice. He presented me with an envelope. I opened the envelope, and there's an estimate for Wakefield's legal costs for the hearing that was going to take place the next day in the High Court. And they were, the, the figures, I suppose, you'd be talking about uh, 30,000 U.S. dollars, that kind of money, um, just for one hearing. Um, so that was the kind of pressure that they were trying to put on me. Um, but then... Uh, The next stage, uh, which was really very, very unfortunate for him, I think, is that we got a court order against him um, requiring him to hand over to us, hand over to our lawyers, I never physically took possession of them, the hospital medical records of the children. Um, There was an application in the High Court, and the judge balanced the issues of the confidentiality of the children as opposed to the Fairness of the litigation that was in front of the court, and the judge ordered that I be allowed to read the unredacted, with their names and all their details, medical records of the twelve children. Which, well, in fact, it was just eleven of them at the time. The American wasn't involved in this. The American case wasn't involved in this. Uh, So, under strict supervision of my lawyers, with a lawyer sitting at the end of the table throughout. I sat in a lawyer's office and read the medical records of the children. Um, Make your hair
0: stand on end? Excuse me? Did it make your hair stand on end?
1: Well, uh, I cannot even say that. I'm saying and have never said anything about why I read in those medical records. Um, The position is that they were disclosed to me in the course of litigation, and I may make no use of anything that I saw in those records or disclose anything of that nature. Because as I was sitting there reading them, Dr. Wakefield's lawyers were in a taxi travelling across London to the High Court to disband the lawsuit against me. Um, And in fact, when I got home that night, uh, and I hadn't taken any notes with me or documents or anything at all, I went home, got home, phone rang, and it was my lawyer saying... It's over. They've thrown in the towel. So I'm in a position where I've read the medical records of these 12 11 of these 12 children, but can make no use of the content of them. However, I have to say, well, that word. <laughs> I've talked to my lawyers about this. It is a fact that it's impossible to unknow something. Once you know something, you can't stop knowing it. Um, That would be unrealistic. Um, So what I did um, was to ensure that I presented myself at the next opportunity where these medical records would, if you like, go on display. And those medical records would go on display um, at a disciplinary hearing, which arose from my original stories, the British General Medical Council, which is the body representing, uh, it's like the regulator for all British doctors, like a medical board, but it's the whole of the United Kingdom, uh, initiated disciplinary uh, proceedings against Dr. Wakefield as a result of my initial stories. And between July 2007 and May 2010, they had a, a public hearing which lasted for 217 days where, among other things, but mostly, these medical records were read Into the transcript into the public domain over and over and over Um, so I was able to be be present throughout those proceedings and the picture began to build up that these uh, the stories the true stories of these children could not be reconciled with what was published in the Lancet there's simply the mismatch was so enormous that you would begin to wonder whether you were talking about the same children. Um, and that information, which was laid out um, in public by, we call them Queen's Council, their senior trial attorneys, um, there were five of them, plus all their junior lawyers and all their supporting lawyers, and a disciplinary panel of five, three of whom were doctors, would go through these records over and over and over, looking at precisely what was wrong with these children, what dates did they have their vaccinations, when did their developmental problems come on, did they have inflammatory bowel disease. And um, I was able to sit there as a reporter and, um, if you like, scoop up all that information and ultimately to present it to the public.
0: So, question, when uh, <clears throat> when using... Uh... Was it the Freedom of Information Act to get those unredacted records uh, as part of the legal case when the high court ruled that you were allowed to see those? So you're looking at them with the doctors – excuse me, with the lawyers, making sure you're not stuffing them in your socks um, or elsewhere. Um, And the lawyers for Andrew Wakefield are racing across town to try to kill the lawsuit so that you won't be able to see them presumably.
1: Motive was we'll never know, but right. it was an uncanny coincidence. Yeah,
0: why raises the question: Why did Wakefield produce those records?
1: Well, he had no choice. Why uh, didn't the, he destroy them? Because uh, they well, were very because,
0: damning, evidently.
1: Well, you see, the, the,
0: the <laughs> why did you say they were lost? I, I can't find that was.
1: Well, yeah, that was eight
0: that, years ago, six years ago. That was whatever.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you um, because the. The disciplinary hearing, which the General Medical Council had brought, was already was already in play. They'd already started doing the work for that. So his lawyers were in possession of these documents. Uh, they so didn't they, have to <clears throat> go to him to get them. I understand. Um, they'd already got them for the for the uh, General Medical Council proceedings and were in their offices and. It's uh, it, I mean, your listeners may find it hard to believe, but I mean, lawyers do work normally, and we hope mostly to an ethical code.
0: Well, oh, if you get caught destroying evidence, you're, you lose your career forever. Yeah. It's it's so, awkward.
1: So they turned over to us. And I think uh, I think he was uh, he was very surprised. I don't think he quite realised. Um, that they would have to turn over those to us. And indeed, they turned over many, many documents, extraordinarily incriminating documents, that would, would again be, um, be read into the record of the General Medical Council. Um, so we'd learned, for example, that he'd been paid, uh, that he'd been contracted by the lawyer for two years before the paper was published at a rate of £150 an hour. Which is a lot was a lot of money then, and is much more now. Uh, so, he, and and ultimately, he accumulated um, four hundred. The figure in British pounds was four hundred thirty-five thousand six hundred forty-three pounds plus his expenses, which at the the prevailing exchange rate, we reckon was about three quarters of a million US dollars. He was actually paid by the lawyers. So that information um, came over to us as well. But again, it wasn't information that we could immediately use.
0: So we have a a disciplinary hearing, and he loses, right? Mm, That's right. (laughs) So what happens to him?
1: Well, uh, in uh, January of last year, uh, he was found guilty of uh, a raft of the most extraordinary charges. There were four counts of dishonesty. One was dishonesty in his research, research fraud, on, on aspects of the way the children have been recruited for the study, there was a finding of dishonesty in the financial aspects of the study, if you like, financial fraud. Uh, and then there were two counts of common lying, dishonesty, lying to other doctors who'd asked him, because, you know, when people first saw this paper, other doctors asked him, well, where did you get the money for this? And he lied about that. And another doctor actually had a big uh, a panel where a whole group of professors and experts and things had been convened in London to discuss his research one of the uh, specialists there said, well, essentially, where did you get the children? And he lied about that. So he was found guilty on four counts of dishonesty. Then about a dozen counts of, if you like, causing children to undergo this extraordinary battery of invasive and actually quite hazardous tests uh, for no clinical reason and without any kind of ethical approval and then uh, uh, he was found guilty on ordering children to have lumbar punctures without any qualifications, because he's not a pediatrician, and he had no relevant um, uh, background in in clinical care. In fact, his contract said he was not allowed to involve himself in the care of patients. Uh, So this great raft of charges was uh, found against him in in January, and then in May of last year, um, he was ordered to be um what we call struck off which is to uh, lose his license to uh, practice medicine and that was in May and then on December 21st uh, just last month um the final stage uh, occurred uh, when it was found that um, he was not appealing the decision because doctors being as they are <laughs> in the UK if you're struck off if you lose your license you're entitled to to appeal to the high court And he went round telling all his supporters that he was appealing to the high court. This is all outrageous. He never did any of these things. The General Medical Council are working for the drug industry. I'm working for the drug industry. It's all an evil conspiracy against him. And he was appealing. But on December 21st, um, the General Medical Council recorded that he had not um, uh, pursued his appeal and his what we call erasure I actually rather like the word, actually. He was erased from the medical record, uh, medical register, and he is no longer a medical doctor. And I don't think he ever will be again.
0: I think not, Um, although I like both those phrases. I like erasure and I like struck off. I think that has a nice uh, ring to it. Um, Finality, yeah. There are two – well, a few questions now. Uh, You know, In economics, strictly on this program, we like to talk about the seen and the unseen. So the seen are those poor 12 kids who get punctured and poked and all those things. Uh, But, of course, the unseen are all the children who either didn't get MMR or their parents who had anxiety about their vaccine. What was the impact of the study uh, on vaccination rates? Do we have any Uh, idea?
1: Yeah, I mean that's the one that people focus on, uh, UK vaccination rates fell from 92%. In fact, they started to fall just slightly before this paper because Wakefield was going around telling everybody and appearing in television programs saying that the MMR caused inflammatory bowel disease. He suddenly went on to to abandon that. But anyway, he was saying that. But, and then this paper appeared. And the, the, the vaccination rates fell from 92% of children at uh, age 2 had uh, received uh, the vaccine down to 80%. And that was sufficient to, um, the, the generally it's felt that that pretty much nine out of ten children have to be vaccinated to stop um, measles uh, returning to the population and, and starting to spread in the population. So it fell well below the rate uh, necessary to keep measles at bay. And there were the beginnings of sporadic outbreaks of measles. In fact, measles was was, um, was declared to be endemic again in the UK as a result of this. A couple of children died, which in the great scheme of things is not a lot of dead children when you think that, that I think still 300,000 children die of measles around the world. So, you know, the fact that two of them were British is perhaps not necessarily a headline except in Britain. Um, but, you know... People talk about um, infectious disease, but I, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's another group of, of, of people who were and continue to be horrendously victimized as a result of this vaccine scare. And these are the parents yeah. who believe that their child is autistic yeah. because they had them vaccinated. Right, and
0: have guilt and can't... Yeah, it's horrifying.
1: Now, that group of parents, um, I mean... My heart goes out to them that they've been told this story um, because when when i 've come across this a lot over the years in, in journalism and i can't i can 't speak from first hand experience I can only speak from repeated uh telling to me by parents when when people have a child and it 's the most precious thing in their life and something they that is, is so life-transforming and central to their thoughts and their feelings. And they, they, the parents then perhaps find that their child, they think, well, perhaps their child can't hear them when they're calling them or the child perhaps starts looking at their fingers all the time or recoils from being touched or starts to behave in an unusual way. Parents go on what I call the desperate quest they go to their pediatrician, yeah. uh, and then they go to specialists, and they go here and there, trying to find out what's wrong. And initially, the pediatricians are very reluctant to say, oh, well, your child might have autism. The the, the response normally is, well, you know, we just have to see children develop at a oh, different rate. Yeah. And, and so they reassure. But when those reassurances are not borne out, in fact, you find quite often parents become angry towards their pediatricians. Uh, they become suspicious uh and they start to think well you know what's to blame for this what can i do what's to blame um and then along comes dr wakefield with his oh it was the vaccine It's the drug companies it's it's you know um you've been you've been uh, uh subjected to some sort of conspiracy by government agencies because it's all part of the thing is that the Centers for Disease Control are in on it, and the drug companies are behind it, and they knowingly. Dr. Wave, in fact, attended a Washington rally uh, in DC where he, he actually said not only that the MMR was causing autism, but that doctors, public health doctors involved in, in government and elsewhere, knew that the vaccine was causing autism and were covering it up. Uh, A most extraordinary allegation to make against members of the medical profession, which has been borne out by nothing in terms of evidence. No whistleblower has ever come forward. Nobody has ever produced any evidence other than uh, doctors throughout the world confronted with autism and confronted with allegations that perhaps environmental agents such as vaccines could be responsible have done anything but their best to try to get to the bottom of these things. So he has, he has gone to these parents and told them that they have been victims of a wicked conspiracy which has injured their child. And that makes some of these parents very angry, some of them very guilty, some of them very hurt, and all of them absolutely bewildered as to how they can find a way out. I mean, the good news perhaps is that sometimes children. Who uh, first show signs of autism and other developmental problems actually improve and go on to live perfectly satisfactory, um, self contained lives. lives. Um, But unfortunately, some don't. And um, the parents of those children, I think, are desperately vulnerable and I think have been desperately preyed on by um, this man's um, uh, false research.
0: So the law firm that paid him. Uh, the um, roughly three quarters of a million dollars in the two years mm-hmm. in advance of the study.
1: Mm-hmm. What happened to them?
0: Did they sue some people for this?
1: Oh, they, no, they sort of. Well, they they did start a lawsuit, but then after about um, eighteen million British pounds, which oh, what would that be? I don't know. Um, for, uh, a lot of money. Yeah, $45 million or something. After they'd shared out that among their experts, such as Dr Wakefield and people he recruited, and among themselves as lawyers, they, they got a lawsuit up and then uh, the lawyers said, well, actually, we can't make a case that the MMR vaccine causes autism. They abandoned the lawsuit and all went off into, into the distance. The lawsuit, though, then was then exported across the Atlantic and uh, then began, there was a, a lawsuit heard in the uh, federal vaccine court, um in 2000 when was it 2007 i think the hearing was uh and um that again found no evidence that um, the mmr vaccine causes autism and that went to the um u.s court of appeals just last year uh and um that found in fact i can tell you the date it went to the appeals because it's on my website right in front of me Uh, uh august of last year the u s court of appeals uh for the federal circuit um uh upheld the um the rulings that um the m m r vaccine does not cause autism or bowel disease
0: so um, so despite this investment the law firm that that created this, um, this scandal they made they just lost a lot of money
1: well they made a lot of money how well, because the, the government's legal aid fund... In the UK, the government's legal aid fund picked up the tab. They gave them £18 million British pounds um, to, to develop this case, to employ lawyers, to employ experts like oh, Wakefield and other doctors. Uh, so that's yeah. how they did it. Then the United States, in the federal vaccine court system, uh, even if the claims fail, uh, the uh, attorneys bringing the case get paid. So in both systems, in both Britain and America, you've got uh, government systems which pay lawyers to bring cases alleging vaccine injury.
0: So they didn't need it to be a, a great study. They just needed to be good enough to get the thing started. Have having next next bit of money. And having a study in the Lancet, that'll do.
1: Well, in fact, at a very early stage, I talked to the people behind the legal funding and they made it very clear, that, as far as they were concerned, that that the internal advice they were getting from Wakefield was the same as what the paper was saying. So what Wakefield was able to do was to get 12 other doctors to sign up to the proposition that there was, uh, I think, what was the expression he used? Apparent precipitating event, that the apparent precipitating event, and precipitating means cause that the apparent causal event behind these children's autism was the MMR vaccine, and that caused a great tranche of money to be released to the lawyers and to Dr. Wakefield.
0: And how does The Lancet responded to this uh, slightly embarrassing uh, publication
1: well, that was, in fact, the, the the final piece of my series in the BMJ was on that very subject. I told the Lancet about all this. Well, I mean, I didn't have all of it because there are large pieces of the of the picture which I didn't have, and I certainly didn't have the, the the clear evidence of fabrication which we have now. But I raised this all with the uh, the editor of the Lancet back in February 2004, and within 48 hours they denied it, all issued statements and um, and hoped it would all go away.
0: Oh, it's too bad, isn't it? Now, they look a little silly. It's a bit mm. bit awkward for them. Um, we st- we talk a lot on this program about uh, science and the challenges of verifying science, overcoming our biases, the role of self deception, uh, confirmation bias, which is very present in economics, and of course, it's present in all all endeavors of, of human existence. But a story like this, it, I salute you, sir. It's an extraordinary achievement. Uh, but it's you. also it's also deeply depressing. Um, it, it's depressing because you could have said when it first came out, it was junk science, a study based on 12, 12 sample points, again, without much understanding of how they were generated. It makes you wonder, and of course people have looked into this, that this is really just the tip of the iceberg. Now, not all studies are corrupt, as this one turned out to be, but many are fraudulent. And where does this leave us with um, – our understanding of, of medicine, epidemiology. What is your, um, what's your assessment of, of the field, having gotten into the kitchen, as it, as it were?
1: Well, you see, every, most people in this, in this subject have seen it in terms of vaccines, have seen it in terms of measles and infectious disease and autism and things like that. From the start, I've always seen it as being an issue of the integrity of science. I always saw it as being whether this paper was true or not and how he could get away with what he got away with. And I think it is a depressing picture because it took something, I think the final figures were, in the, it's been in the region of like $10 million it has taken to crack a case series of twelve patients that 's money in the general medical council hearing in the litigation involving Wakefield in journalistic fees, television production costs, and all this all the stuff that 's gone on around this it 's cost about ten million dollars to get to the bottom of this this little case series of twelve patients and you know the great bulk of science is not that interesting to the general public hmm. and therefore would not. Uh, create the probable cause for a newspaper reporter to be funded by a newspaper and a television station to go after this for such a long period of time and get all this investigative work done with, you know, government um, regulators and what have you. Uh, So you really would have to wonder what else is going on in in the laboratories and, and medical centers uh, and, and, and the fact that Wakefield thought he was going to get away with it and the kind of casual way that he went about it leads me to think that he, 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 he was working within a culture uh, within which um, that wasn't far from, uh, from unusual, what he was doing. Wasn't far, well, let's say it wasn't far from extraordinary. Um, the, the kind of alterations and misrepresentations he made were far from remarkable. Um, by common standards,
0: I suspect. Well, the, <clears throat> part of it is the nature of of human human beings, as I mentioned, and part of it's the elusiveness of truth. Part of it is the nature of the publication process and the culture of science, as you as you mentioned. I, when I was googling around trying to get background for our conversation, I came across a recently published study. Uh, that showed a relationship between autism and living near a, a highway, a major mm-hmm. highway. If you mm-hmm. lived within a certain number of feet of a major highway, you had, a, I think, a 10% higher chance of getting autism. The authors were at least honest enough to report that their results didn't hold up if you lived near a busy city street. So here's an awkward thing. They find a correlation, and they, they're happy to – opine on the source of the correlation, they say and the causation. They say, well, there must be some chemicals in in gasoline and pollution and cars that cause autism. Well, it could be, of course, could be, but it's awkward for their theory that in their own results they don't find a correlation with major city street mm. near, near living near those. So the authors explain, well there must be different chemicals near those streets. Well, that would be one hypothesis um, uh, to explain the the finding. The other would be that their initial theory is wrong, that there's no relationship, and it's just a statistical anomaly, which is going to crop up, as we know, a few percent each time. And in a large enough sample, you do enough fishing, you're going to find correlations that are not causal. Mm. And so this – I refer our listeners back to the podcast that we did with Ed Lemer which uh, highlights the problems of these issues in economics, but it's clear that that these kind of uh, problems are widespread in other parts of uh, research.
1: Yes, it's a. It's a, it's a so much Texas sharpshooting around of people just taking a shot at a barn door and then painting the bullseye around the hole, yep. um, that uh, it's, it's very difficult to to get uh, clear evidence of uh, very much in that field of autism, because if there are environmental factors at work, there could be so many, or um, the, 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 I don't know how many years it would ever take to test uh, the hypothesis for each one that we've got now.
0: And the simplest hypothesis is that we've gotten better at detecting it, and that's the source of the and we're aware of it, and that's the source of the increase in its, its prevalence. But there could be other genuine underlying factors, of course. Mm. Uh, my my lesson, uh, <clears throat> what I try to teach my children, is to be skeptical of scientific findings. But um, it's hard for us, as you say. A lot of us, we're vulnerable, and we like good stories, and we like to be scared. and It's nice to come up with – I
1: like to think the scientists have the answer because, I mean, to, from an ordinary person in the street, you think, well, if scientists don't have the answer, well – What's the point of them? That's right. what we have them for. And to discover that scientists actually don't have the answers but are all sort of just um, putting forward various ideas for testing and maybe eventually one or two of them will prove to be correct is kind of a bit of a dispiriting a dispiriting view of the nature of science.
0: And we have a lot of romance about it. We talked recently with uh, Bruce Caldwell about, about Hayek, and Hayek was very wary of what he called scientism, and scientism is the use of the language and tools of science to create a scientific impression that's not scientific. And, again, this would be a, a prime case. Mm. Uh, what um, What are you going to turn to next? Are you stuck uh, being a, a vaccination man for the, for
1: absolutely the foreseeable future? This, I, hope. <laughs> I absolutely hope that um, talking to you will be amongst the last things I ever have to be involved in in terms of vaccines. And I'm, I'm not sure I really want to spend a great deal more time on long investigations, because you end up um, uh, i don 't know there 's a, a saying of the Buddha that um, the things that we dwell on become the shape of our minds um, and i 'm kind of tired of the of the hunt aspect of it and the the adversarial quality to investigative journalism. The extraordinary hours that have to be put into it to uh, to get anywhere, um, um, the complex legal issues that are always coming up. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, in an ideal world, I would um, I would find something that didn't require me to do more than write, you know, maybe a couple of hundred words <laughs> in a piece, and um, you know, be cheap and cheerful and uh, about it all, but I have a feeling that that's just um, the way I'm feeling at the moment, and it won't be long before something else comes along that uh, I get interested in and get drawn off into. Um, well, but,
0: I, I, go ahead. Sorry.
1: No, gonna say I think probably what I need now is a holiday. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I, for one, and, and thousands, if not millions, of others, are grateful for all those hours you put in. Uh, Thank you. Striking a blow against fraud in this kind of situation is. Um, it doesn't make up for all the the pain and the, and the losses that people suffered as a result of the fraud, but it is um, it will open people's eyes down the road to lots of other things. I hope.
1: Well, thank you. Let's
0: hope. My guest today has been Brian Deer. Brian, thanks for being part of Econ Talk. Well, thanks, Russ.